0: You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. This week, uh, we want to examine what is called the second article of the Apostles' Creed. It's really the second section of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, You could divide it up in terms of Father, Son, and Spirit. Or we could divide it up uh, in terms of creation, redemption, and sanctification. Either way, you want to divide up the Apostles' Creed. Here's what's happening. We're trying to get all of the work that God does in the world kind of condensed down into a concentrate. Last night, I was allowed to make soup for our family, and I'll admit, it was a little too concentrated, okay? Um, maybe I had the Apostles' Creed on my mind, but I condensed that soup just a the wee, too much, okay? And you know what? Sometimes the Apostles' Creed feels like that as well. It's, we're going too fast. What's happening here? Uh, and especially in this section on Jesus, it is a mouthful. It's a mouthful that sometimes it's easy to get caught up on certain phrases, and yet we don't have time, right? We're going to go on to the next line, and the next line, and the next line. Last week we heard about um, I, I, it was as good of an introduction as I could possibly give on the Apostles' Creed. I can't go back through all of that this morning as we go into the second article. I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that sermon again. Um, and here's the reason why. Uh, I think what we put forward last week is that the Apostles' Creed, although not uh, not equal with God's Word, it's a good summary of the teachings of Scripture. And it's a good summary that can be used as a teaching tool and to help a young Christian make a good confession of faith, which is historically exactly what it was, what it was meant, what it was written for, and meant to be used for. Also, since this is, right, this, uh, is written right after the death of the apostles... This is seen not just as a good summary of um, all of Scripture, but then more specifically, too, the apostles' teachings on who Jesus was. Um, This does not make this document, this creed, which again, what does creed mean? It means I believe or I trust. It does not make this creed uh, without its shortcomings. Uh, it does not mean that we simply trust it because it's tradition and a lot of people have recited it in the past. And yet, um, one of the things that the Creed can do for us and should do for us is put some guardrails on the mountain pass for us. All right? Especially this week, as we come to the second article about Jesus, uh, why did something like this need to be written? Well, each and every line in this section about Jesus is there for a reason. Most of those reasons are because people were trying to take the teachings of Scripture and twist them to mean something that they did not mean or to say something that they did not say. And as we go through this today, um, what I want us to be hearing over and over again, because we're not going to be able to get through each line in depth. Um, I want this to just simply be a teaching outline for us that we're using and hearing today to make certain that you know what you believe and why you believe it, so that you will know that this is the way. All right? And here's our big idea for today God has given us all of Himself in Jesus. For you. God has given us all of himself in Jesus for you. All right. um, let's just start at the beginning. All right? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. If we were to tie this back together, let's go ahead and tie it back to last week. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Um, so last week we talked about God and we talked about Him as our Father. But we also ended last week uh, with, with reading from the Apostle Paul about how He is our Father only because He is first Jesus' Father. right? God, as we read this morning, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten son, his one and only son, just like that vineyard owner did to the tenants, the evil tenants that were renting the land, claiming it as their inheritance. And so when we start off the second article, we are claiming a lot. Uh, when we're saying that we believe in Jesus Christ, we are claiming that there is no other Messiah. Right? That's what this word Christ means. It means Messiah. And so we are claiming that there is only one thing and one person specifically that can save us and that His name is Jesus. We also are proclaiming that it is uh, God's only Son. That's who Jesus is. Uh, Just like we read in John 3.16 this morning. And then lastly, we are saying that he is our Lord. Now, what does it mean to have a Lord? And I don't know about you, but I do like some, uh, some medieval literature, okay? Historical fiction or actual medieval stuff. And you know what? You never get a very good picture of who a Lord is in these things. Usually, the Lord is the evil dude that owns the land and takes everything that was meant to be yours, right? Um, And in order to just put this in the shortest way possible, when Jesus claims that He is our Lord, here's what's happening. Uh, Maybe let me say it like this. Uh, Martin Luther... uh, He summarized Jesus' lordship as this, that you cannot have a king or a lord unless you were once enslaved. And it's only then that that person can claim authority over you after they have rescued you from that slavery and from that captivity. And once you are freed from that captivity, a good Lord, a good King, is not pulling you into another kind of slavery. No. He is... What it means when Jesus proclaims Himself as our Lord, and then we confess it, is that we are saying that Jesus is going to lovingly rule over us By his righteousness, his wisdom, his power, his life, and his blessedness. Not that somehow because he is our Lord, we have to work up some sort of righteousness of our own to prove to Jesus that we are worthy. Um, not that we need to have some sort of wisdom that shows off who we are to Him. Not that we have some power or something attractive in and of ourselves because as the Apostle Paul tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is how Jesus claims His Lordship over us. He doesn't say, now make me your Lord. He says, I am your Lord. And that little turn of phrase makes all the difference in the world. When we come up in this next section of the Apostles' Creed though, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried. Let's stop there for just a minute. Um, I think that we all know this but this is significant to our faith. Can we agree? Yes? Okay, good. We can agree to this. In fact, it's so significant um, that this week I was stressing. I was stressing. Oh, man. Now I have to preach a Christmas sermon and an Easter sermon, a Good Friday sermon and an Easter sermon, and an Ascension Day sermon. This, This sermon for the Sunday is getting out of hand. Um, And then I got let off the hook by a couple of theologians who pointed this out, that when we talk about God as our Father, this is an important thing to keep going back to, and it's an important thing to teach, because it seldom comes up in the text of Scripture, right? Uh, That is, we could preach through three books of the Bible, and maybe it's going to come up twice in the three books of the Bible that we preach through. And so it's good to set aside the time to talk about the Father. And yet the topic of Jesus is the central thing that all of our trust and faith and hope rests in. Everything is in Christ. And because of that, um, going through the Apostles' Creed and describing each of these things line by line, it would not do just for one class or one sermon. We have to take the other 51 weeks of the year in order to address who Jesus is. Which is why we set aside a certain time of year to look at each of these things. Um, to look at His birth. Uh, as we're going through Luke's Gospel this year, we are looking at His life. Uh, we, and the Christmas season, we looked at his, his birth and then everything surrounding His birth. The miraculousness of it. The fact that he was born of a virgin, as was prophesied by Isaiah. Alright, so why do we confess this part of it together then? That he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Because this is important to his identity. Now we're not going to go back, I'm not going to turn back to Isaiah right now and go back through the whole Christmas season. Um, I want you... (laughs) to do that on your own, okay? And and with that said too, I I think that we, we need to be a little bit patient here going into the next section as we talk about His death and His resurrection because we're working up to that in the next couple of weeks. But also, these lines about Him being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary are extremely important because these were things that people wanted to chop away at as the Apostles' Creed was being written. So, historically, um, what is the number one way to defeat the Christian faith? That is to undercut the person and work of Jesus. If you can take away His miraculous birth, if you can take away the fact that He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, that is, as we confessed earlier this morning, that He is fully God and fully man, well, then you have a Jesus that's not worth much. Similarly, if you can take away the fact that He was born of the Virgin Mary and just write off Isaiah's prophecy, uh, then we don't... Have a Jesus that's worth much to us. And also, similarly, why did Pontius Pilate, a bureaucrat, a politician, make it into the Apostles' Creed? Because he is a historical person, okay? He's a historical person who is in record books and carved into stone. And so it is important for us to realize and to understand that Pontius Pilate was a real person who existed. Why? Because he really put a man named Jesus who was both fully God and fully man to death on the cross for your sin. And then lastly, we say that He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Now this year, for our Good Friday service, I've decided, uh, because this turned into like a 45 minute sermon, talking about he descended to the dead, okay? Uh, If you've been in churches in the past, you may have, and, and actually sometimes, because I don't change the slide always, we sometimes say together, he descended into hell, all right? This can be a line that we all trip up on, that's, yes, Okay? That's that's a tricky thing to try to understand. And so this year, at our Good Friday service, we're going to be going through that line specifically of the Apostles' Creed and why it's important for us to confess that line together. But if I can just give you the long and the short of it right now, what this means for us is that Jesus actually died in His human body and His soul actually went to that place of the dead um, where we all go until the day that Jesus causes us to be resurrected again, all right that 's a complex thing that I just said um, let me let me read it here from Ephesians chapter four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, Paul makes an argument after this, in saying that he ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, And we'll dive more into those verses on Good Friday. But here's the big idea. Um, There was a a group back in the day that the Apostles' Creed was being written, the Apollinarians, and they wanted to say that um, the body that Jesus had, he was kind of like inhabiting it. Uh, God was inhabiting it. It was kind of like a meat puppet. And there was no human soul there, so that when the body died, God was just free to be God again. Um, and if that doesn't sound strange to you, it should, okay, that should sound strange to you. In fact, it undercuts, um, there's no way then that Jesus's death, uh, could atone for the sins of humans like us, because that means that Jesus did not actually become a man. He was more like a marionette with strings using a meat puppet. Okay, that's disturbing. I understand that. Sorry, Um, but that's why we confess that part of the creed, and we'll come back to that a bit later. He he uh, descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the inheritor of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The majesty there being God in all of his holiness and all of his glory. And so we confess here that Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, Look. Uh, we, I, I brought it up last week, but when we read the Apostles' Creed, what this means is, um, on, on a couple of different levels, it means that we're not Jewish. It means that we're not Muslim. It means that we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. It means that we're not Mormons. It means that we're not good old pagans, the worshipers of our ancestors' gods. Um, and with that said, all of these points about Jesus that we read in the second article... Uh, someone who is a Mormon could not confess any one of these things. Uh, someone who is Jehovah's Witness could not honestly confess any one of these things. And so it is important the kind of language that we use um, when we talk about Jesus. And when we talk about His ascending, if we were to use the argument of Paul, which we should, um, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father because he also descended, right? He descended to the place of the dead. And we know from the writer of Hebrews that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That right hand, that's a right hand of power. That means all authority is given to Jesus in all things. Um, we read this elsewhere. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. In Peter's first letter, I'm just going to start reading from 1 Peter, starting chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is that you do not secure your own salvation even after you have it. in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from this from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Here in this second article of the Apostles' Creed um, is the center of our faith. Jesus Himself. Each line carries a heavy burden as it pertains to its summary of the Scripture. And yet each line is very, very important. Next week, as we come together, what we're going to do is um, we're going to hear a little bit more about the Trinity, and then we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in the life of the Christian. Um, Before we get there, though, I want to do two more things. Uh, Last week, we uh, read from the catechism that we used last year. That's the teaching tool, the learning tool that we used last year. And I want to do that same thing. And children, you will know the first uh, question and at least a part of the first answer to this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, and He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. begotten of the Father from all eternity, true man, born of the Virgin Mary, you have redeemed us, lost and condemned people. We give thanks to you for purchasing and winning us from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil. Not with gold or silver, but with your holy, precious blood and with your innocent suffering and death. We praise you that you have made us your own so that we may live in your kingdom and serve you in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Just as you are risen from the dead and live and reign to all eternity with your Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, Amen. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.